Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have Brad Oberwager, Executive Chair of Linden Lab. Brad, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thank you very much, Greg. Look forward to talking. Cool. So, um, you know, people might ask, why are we talking to you? Let's start with a little bit of background about your experience, then we're going to turn it into a discussion about kind of banking and economies in a virtual world. But to begin with, tell us about Linden Lab and, and what it is you guys do. So Linden Lab was started a long time ago, and it actually is the parent company of Second Life, which is the sort of OG metaverse. You've heard a lot of talk about the metaverse and virtual worlds. Well, Second Life was was um, the first one that really created a an economy. Um, and then Linden also, uh, because of that, has a fintech company called Tilia um, that we also own that is a fintech for the metaverse. Excellent. So let's dive into Second Life a little bit more because I think, you know, you're right. I, I have some experience with it, I, but I'm not sure how many people among our listener group will have actually engaged with it. Can you talk about Second Life from just a high level and kind of how it came to be? Sure. So a, a guy named Philip Rosedale, who happens to be one of my closest friends, uh, came up with the idea of building a virtual world. And what he really did was his idea was to build a the original gaming engine so that um, people could create things. That was that was the um, beginning of this thing called Second Life. No one used the term metaverse. No one used the term creator economy. Uh, and so people started building things and they started chatting and they started wanting each other's stuff and they started building social networks. This is, and this is 18 years ago. Uh, and and sure enough, over over the time, seventy two million people have signed up for Second Life. Wow. A lot of people think of it. As, yeah, a lot of people think of it as something that was there a long time ago. But right now, Second Life does one point six million transactions a day. It's a six hundred and fifty million dollar U.S. dollar economy. So when you hear people talking about the metaverse and it's on its way and these virtual worlds. There are virtual worlds that are real and that are happening uh, right now, and they're big. So, you know, he was very prescient in seeing what the future held. No, absolutely. And I think the, the, some of the numbers you just threw out about the size of the economy are really staggering. Can you talk about where that economy is coming from? You know, what kinds of things are being bought and sold and maybe uh, any information you have about who's generating and creating those things? Sure. So, so um, when this game was built, and by the way, we don't even call it a game. We call it we call it a world, and we call the folks that are in it residents. People, you you play a game, you reside in a virtual world, and so virtual worlds are very similar to the physical world, right? They have infrastructure. We have gaming engines in the in the physical world. We have roads and things, and in our world, we have gaming engines and AWS and things like that. They've got rules. They've got uh, social, they've got money. Um, and so that social economy works together. So when the game was started, you could build things, you could build a house, you could build a car, you could build wings, people learn to program on this virtual engine. And so just like in real society, people got uh, people broke into what they were good at, and they specified and 
they created uh, this economy. So, um, so what they did was they created a Linden dollar, which was one of the very first virtual currencies, not a cryptocurrency, a virtual currency. And they allowed people to buy that virtual currency and transact in world. The business model of all of these virtual worlds, and we can get into this a little later, is extremely important. It costs money to run um, these virtual worlds. And so you either have to kind of unfortunately do like surveillance, right? Advertising, uh, things like that to pay for it, or you can build an economy. And what, what we did was the, the big things that people do is they own land um, and then rent that out. And they own land uh, that they rent or they rent land from us effectively, big plots of land. And then a lot of people break it up and rent it out because it's hard to manage and things like that. So that's one way that it happens. And then a lot of people, they build things on the land and people buy them. And actually, creators make money. Our number one person took out $2.8 million last year. Wow. I mean, this is real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's huge. And I think one of the things that's most interesting about it is that this sort of, you know, the, the natural evolution of this economy is, in many ways kind of mirrors the, um, you know, evolution of the economy in, in the physical world, right? It's sort of, you know, it's just sort of ebbing and flowing based on the needs that people want, the, the, supply that people are able to um, put together. So I think that that's one of the things that's really fascinating. Now, what do you think, um, what do you think attracts people to the idea of doing business in a virtual setting? You know, what, what kind of advantages does it offer? I mean, aside from obviously the person who's pulling out 2.8 million, that's pretty clear in itself. Right. Well, there's a couple of things that because it's virtual are very um, positive for large groups of people. So one thing is it's it's a it's a great equalizer. Um, when you're selling something in a virtual world, your virtual reputation is incre- incredibly important. But what's not important is the color of your skin, the education, um, you know, your religious identity. No, a, a lot of those things, where you live, a lot of those things in the in the physical world matter and and make the sort of the the sort of rules of the game unequal. Whereas in our world, for example, 80% of the folks making money in Second Life are women. 50% live outside the United States. So that's one aspect. And the other aspect is the cost of doing business in virtual worlds is very, very low. Um, scale is important to build the game, but or the the world, but scale is not important to reside in it or to be a member of this social economy. And so, if you create a better pair of eyes, you can sell them, and your fixed cost is extremely low, and your virtual cost or your um, variable cost is zero. And so it's very attractive to entrepreneurs, to folks that live all over the world in in different socioeconomic. Uh, societies. It's it's a very attractive place to do business. And then on the customer side, it's less expensive to have a very high quality of life. A virtual beer does not cost anywhere close to the cost of a physical beer. And so you can go to a nightclub or you can go to church or you can get married and everything that you do is much less expensive and therefore quality of life is much higher. Yeah, I think there's a lot to to kind of unpack there, but I, I want to kind of zero in on the other side of the coin, which is, 
know, what are some of the challenges that you have to be aware of, um, particularly kind of in your position where you're sort of overseeing this economy, you know, trying to keep it functioning, trying to keep it fair. What are some of the potential pitfalls that you have to be aware of? Well, one of the things, so so we have to be um, very cognizant of our residents and the quality of their life. And so, and I, I mentioned business model and business model is challenging because it does cost money to run a virtual world, but how you charge money and how you make money is, is tricky. And so, and so what we've done is we have this sort of land model and we have, um, you know, we do have some premium services, but you've got to be very aware of your business model. The biggest problem is when you think of these virtual societies, virtual worlds, they, they, again, they mimic the real world. You have this infrastructure, you have this social, and you have money. And money is another thing that you've got to be very careful about. If you use, for example, crypto or fiat, it, that's a very expensive way to do business. As you move to using virtual currencies, uh, which are, in my opinion, the only way to do it, you also can get caught up in regulation. So it's really tricky um, how to uh, run the economic part of a virtual world, but it's equally important to the social aspect and the quality of that world. I want to zero in on something really quickly because you have a you kind of drew a line between virtual currency and cryptocurrency. Can you explain the difference, uh, at least you know how you see those two being different entities? Well, so the best difference, the best way to cut it in half is. Cryptocurrencies, by definition, sit on a blockchain. Um, and because of that, they are impossible to control, by definition, and they can trade anywhere with no relative value to um, a, a virtual good, for example. So if I were to create a world and that world economy was based on a cryptocurrency, that cryptocurrency could trade on Coinbase, for example, in a way that had nothing to do with the virtual world, which creates, and, and that creates two challenges. Um, the first challenge is the easy one to think about, which is if you're running a virtual, if you're running a cryptocurrency, it costs money. I mean, gas is a thing. And, and in the virtual world, the vast majority of transactions are under a dollar. And so fiat doesn't work because it's very hard to do that. And crypto doesn't work because like I said, we do 1.6 million transactions a day, let alone how complicated and energy intensive that is. You can't, you can't do that in crypto. The other problem is because it doesn't really match what's going on, because it can be speculative, if you're a seller and I'm a buyer of virtual wings and the cost of crypto is fluctuating and it's been going up 5% a day for the past two weeks, I don't want to spend it. And if it's going down 5% a day for the past two weeks, you don't want to accept it. And so the relationship between what actually goes on in the economy and the value of the currency is broken down. That said, you need to have the virtual aspect of currency. You cannot do it with fiat because of that same original problem, which is it's too expensive. When we move money, we can move one 250th of a dollar profitably. That cannot be done on crypto. It cannot be done on, on fiat. It has to be done virtually. Just like when you're playing any game and there's the virtual gold in the game, or you have tokens when you're, you've got a downloaded app, that's the same thing. That's the way these economies have to work. 
Unfortunately, that brings up a third challenge, which is regulation. If you move money in a virtual world, the government, the state governments, the state regulators look at that in the exact same way they would look at if you were moving real money, because you are. If you can put money into a game, move it to someone else, and they can take it out and put it into a bank account, you've moved money. And the government wants to pay attention to that. So when you do it virtually, if it's a true economy and people can make real money, then you're regulated. Most people don't know that. They figure it out later. Fortunately, fortunately for them and for us, there is a turnkey solution, which is we built this company just for Second Life, this company called Tilia. We built it just for Second Life. And now it runs all these other virtual worlds because we actually got talked to by a state and they said, we're moving money. And we went, wow. And so, but it was so early on yeah. in the world, we, they gave us time to get our own licenses. And we spent seven years getting licensed everywhere in the United States and tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars. And so now we offer that service to other virtual worlds. Well, I think you, what you've done really well here is kind of highlight the complexities of it, but also it, it, it all makes sense. It all makes intuitive sense. And you can sort of see how these pieces come together. And I think this is where, you know, a lot of the industry right now, as they're looking at kind of turning uh, towards the metaverse, towards kind of virtual economies and thinking about what types of banking opportunities might be available there. A lot of them are sort of in the discovery phase that you've already gone through, which is what are some of these things we have to be really conscious of? Certainly kind of from the bank side, the regulatory side of it should be a little bit easier than somebody who has no experience whatsoever in that arena. But I, I want to kind of turn the conversation now towards sort of the kind of the banks, the more traditional financial services companies who are now looking at virtual worlds and thinking to themselves, is this something that we need to be you know, turning our attention towards? Do we need to be engaging with this? What opportunities do you think exist for those kind of traditional financial service providers within a virtual world like Second Life? Well, I'll kind of break it into a few buckets. But first of all, I would say that they should recognize the enormous advantage that they have. Don't think that just because this is in the virtual world and it, that it's so different and new that you can't participate. It's real. Um, and you have licenses and you have systems in place and you've been moving money for years and years and years. So there is that. Of course, the flip side of that is, but this is so different. The key difference being that the worlds run on microtransactions that no one has even thought of before. No one has thought of microtransactions for commerce in the percent of a penny. So that's going to be the big thing. The opportunity is tremendous. Look, Second Life, nobody on the, like very few of the listeners here have even heard of Second Life. And as I mentioned, it's a $650 million economy. If there's a virtual world that you haven't heard of that's doing um, you know, almost three quarters of a billion dollars in, in activity a year, this whole metaverse thing is real. At the same time, we do 1.6 million transactions a day. So when you do the math, you can figure out the vast majority of our transactions are quite small. That's gonna be the challenge. But um, the, the, the virtual worlds and the physical worlds match up. I mentioned earlier, they both have infrastructure. They both have the social and they both have money. Like when you think of how the future looks and, and we think of um, you, you know, someone based in San Francisco, they've built their life in San Francisco. They have all their money in San Francisco and their company says, move to New York. Well, if they can't bring their stuff, that's mildly irritating. 
if you can't move your money, you're not going to move to New York. So right. the concept of these virtual worlds is going to be the same thing. It's the same problems. You need accounts. You need trust. You need, you know, you need real technology behind it. And a lot of these financial institutions have more than they think, but they have they also have challenges more than they think. Yeah, and I think understanding the advantages that banks have is one of the things that um, can be really difficult for banks when they're looking into the tech arena and think to themselves, how do we make the most of this? And, and to your point, I think there are a lot of places where they have some really substantial advantages. So uh, we have time probably for one more question here. Um, what advice do you have for our listeners who are trying to get the most out of those opportunities? I mean, certainly there is an opportunity there. I think it's you know difficult potentially to go out and really grab it to the extent that you might really need to. But what advice do you have for people who uh, are, are kind of itching to get out there and give it a try themselves? My advice would be play to your strengths and partner like crazy. So. Um, your, the strengths of these large financial institutions, or the, even the fast-moving ones, are that they are financial institutions. That is a big deal. People, we love in the world of VC and everything. We love to ignore uh, the power of the incumbent, but when it comes to financial transactions, that's a it. It is a thing. At the same time. The challenges are real. And so the advice would be to constantly be looking for the right partners um, to break into some of these areas, which are also fintech companies, and to have an incredible healthy respect for the size of transactions. That is the defining difference between the real world or the physical world and the virtual world. The size of the transactions are minuscule. And that is an incredibly important component of winning the finance part of the metaverse. No, that's excellent. And we'll have to leave it there. But I think certainly there's a lot of interesting pieces to take away. Um, for anybody listening, you know, go go try it out. Get into Second Life a little bit. Play around with it. See, you know, I, I've certainly uh, spent some time uh, in, in that world uh, earlier on in my life, and I enjoyed it very much. And I would encourage anybody who hasn't, you know, go give it a try. Um, but even more so, think about the uh, pieces that you know, you you can potentially take into your own business because there are some opportunities there. Um, Brad, thank you so much for taking the time to chat us through. This has been super fun. Thank you, Greg. It was a great pleasure. Talk soon. The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>